is not the Lord good? I tell you what, I'm, I'm, I thank God for being saved. I thank God for just the privilege to be able to gather here corporately in this, in this assembly here and those who are gathering with us via live stream. It's good to be in service one more time. Amen. Uh, it's good to be in service one more time. And I, you hear me say that and many times we may take that just nonchalantly. But guys, I'm going to tell you, there are a lot of people who wish they had the opportunity to be right where you are today. But because of various circumstances and situations, they are unable to assemble. So I, 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 I count on the privilege every time I can assemble together with the body of believers uh, and uh, learn and grow and worship God. It's good to see you guys today. Amen? Y'all look so nice. <laughs> uh, I do count it a privilege um, uh, to share with you today. I, um, I, I mean, on yesterday, I, yesterday I, I uh, spent some time with three little boys, uh, one in the first grade, one in the second grade, and one in the fourth grade. Um, and when you spend uh, a, a half a day with three little boys, uh, I didn't realize I was tired this morning. <laughs> but we made a full day of it. We went to the USA Boxing Nationals. We went to the aquarium. We ran outside. Uh, we were playing tag. And, and, and my wife tells a different story. I don't listen to her story, okay? Uh, but I decided I was going to play tag with them. Uh, because after all, I, I, I had flashbacks. To my days of playing college ball over losing a tech. And I tried to make a move, Tyrone, <laughs> that I made 35 years ago. And my mind said, go. <laughs> and my back said, no. <laughs> and a pain hit me, and I immediately ceased from playing tag. Y'all going on play. Y'all going on play. <laughs> so. Uh, but I thank God that I'm here, praise God, and I'm moving uh, with, a, with a, a reasonable portion of health and strength. So thank God for you today. Uh, we're going to get back, guys, to our, uh, our subject matter. We've been talking about God's plan for his church, and we've been asking the question, are we the real deal, okay? Are we the real deal? So I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter number two, and we I'm not going to reiterate, I'm just going to point out those couple of scriptures to, because we're going to hit on this last point uh, in our uh, key application concepts that we learned from Daniel, the four that I gave you, okay? Uh, there are others that we're going to pull out hopefully the next couple of weeks. Uh, but while you're turning to Daniel chapter number two, uh, and we'll begin our uh, reading at uh, verse number 27 there. But I want to read something to you before, before we start there. I ran across this article. It was written a couple of years ago, but it, it really... Uh, struck me as, as being relevant for the time which we're living in today and to, for us to have a proper mindset as it relates to being the real deal and being the people of God who are helping nurture others along the way. How many of y'all consider yourself baby boomers? You know what a baby boomer is? If you were born between 1946 and 1964, you are a baby boomer. Let me see your hands, all the baby boomers in the house. We got some boomers in the house. Everybody say boom, boom. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> but this uh, uh, called, a guy by the name of Carl Vaders wrote this article. He says, hey, baby boomers, let's, stop, let's step up and be the elders the church desperately needs right now. 
And listen to what he says. He says, what's wrong with today's younger generation? I hear that question all the time, especially from my fellow baby boomers. The quick answer is nothing. Nothing is wrong with the current and upcoming generations that hasn't been wrong with every previous generation. How many of y'all, how many of y'all were hippies in your day? Or you don't admit it, bell bottoms, uh-huh. afros. You ain't got to admit it, but just, 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 just. But, 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 baby boomers, uh, 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 yo, uh, he, he says nothing is wrong with the current and upcoming generation that hasn't been wrong with every previous generation, with one possible exception. They don't have the elders and mentors that almost every previous generation before them has had. He says, and why is that? Because, I hate to say it, my generation of boomers is not discipling the next generation as well as previous generations did for us. He says, if you, like me, are a Christian and a boomer born between 46 and 64, You need to know that our primary mission at this stage of our lives is to become the elders and the equippers that every generation of the church always needs. Instead, too many of us stand back, cross our arms, and complain that millennials are entitled, they're lazy, they're loud, they're whatever other complaint you want to insert into them. He says, but that is no truer of this generation then our generation, I promise you, uh, when we were coming up and we were in our teens or, or early 20s and 30s, uh, probably some of the people uh, older than us were saying stuff about us, which y'all agree, okay? He says, in fact, I'm convinced that the biggest sin millennials have committed in the eyes of many of my boomer colleagues is not wanting to do church exactly the way we did it, all right? But no generation should do church exactly the way anyone else did it because they're not like anyone else. Each generation needs to honor God, worship Jesus, disciple believers, reach their community, and teach the unchangeable truths of God's word in the way God leads them to do it. Y'all realize that, that, that uh, <laughs> uh, those who came up under Judaism had a problem with Jesus because he was advocating something different than what they grew up on. Can I get five witnesses up in here? They, 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 were, they, were, they wanted to hold on to that which God says was only a schoolmaster to bring you up to the point of grace. But they still want to hold on to it. And Jesus says, I got a new way. I'm the fulfillment of everything that brought you up to this point. All right? Listen to me carefully. Listen to what he says. Each generation needs to honor God, worship Jesus, disciple believers, reach their community, and teach the unchangeable truths of God's word in the way that God leads them to do it, not in the way their parents are most comfortable with. He says this, like every generation that preceded them, today's young believers need the wisdom, kindness, and counsel of previous generations to become the mature disciples they want to be. And despite all the protestations to the contrary, this new generation is as open, maybe even more open to being mentored by the elders than boomers ever were. He says, if we will step up, they will listen, but we can't become the elders the church needs by complaining, demanding, or whining about them. 
as I, he says, as I wrote in the previous post, we can whine about the new generation or worship with them, but we can't do both. Listen to what he said. We can whine about the new generation or worship with them, but we can't do both. He says, here are three ways boomers can start to become the elders the church needs. Just write, write these down, or you can look the article up if you want to. Number one, he says, stop isolating and start engaging. Everybody say, stop isolating, start engaging. He says, we won't be heard if we, if we refuse to participate. In too many churches, pastors are still having to divide the church into young and old, contemporary, traditional categories to try and please everyone. And in my experience, that happens far more often because boomers refuse to sing new songs than become that boomers refuse to sing new songs than because millennials refuse to sing old ones. In other words, it's more of the boomers say, I'm not, I won't hold on to what I got. And millennials will, will adapt. Okay. So again, he says, in my experience, that happens far more often because boomers refuse to sing new songs than because millennials refuse to sing old ones. We need to show up, help out, and worship with all of our heart and passion, whether we like the music or not. He says, we can't lead, guide, and help younger generations if we're cutting ourselves off from them during the time the entire body should be getting together. So stop isolating and start engaging. Second thing he says, which which really says, stop complaining and start encouraging. No one will ever open themselves up to learn from a person whose default response is to complain about everything or most things. Complainers have little influence. Encouragers have a lot. After all, no one's life has ever been made worse by receiving too much encouragement. I got to repeat that. He says, after all, no one's life was ever made worse by receiving too much encouragement. Too many complaints, too much flattery, those are problems. But there's no such thing as too much encouragement. If you want to have influence, start by being an encouragement. Encouragement is like water in the desert. It softens hearts, cools tempers, and opens people up to receive what we have to give. Third thing he says, and his final point, he says, stop demanding and start equipping. Stop demanding and start equipping. He says, now, now I'm going I'm, I'm to get blunt, he says. If you are a mature believer, you need to act like one. I need to go call this dude right now. He says, if you are a mature believer, you need to act like one. He says, show up at church to serve, not to be served. Oh, my God. Show up at church to serve and not to be served. Put yourself in a position of influence by becoming the servant Jesus calls all of us to be. Stop demanding that the pastor the worship leader, and the young people, if your church has any, do church your way and start asking, how can you help the next generation serve Jesus with even greater passion and wisdom than previous generations? We have the years, the experience, the tools, and the maturity. Now we need to add the willingness to engage, encourage, and equip, and maybe even learn a few new things along the way. It's time to get to work. I thought that was an awesome, awesome message because we do need to do those three things. Stop isolating, start engaging. 
Stop complaining, start encouraging, stop demanding, and start equipping. And as we do that, guys, I think we'll see this generation that, that and all of us can be honest about, there have been times I complain about, they don't do this and they can't do this, but I, we got to stop there. we got to start equipping instead of complaining. Was that good or what? All right. Hallelujah. I go to Daniel chapter number two, verse number 27. Uh, we've been t- looking at some key application concepts from this book that, that we would do well to embrace and to put into our own lives, guys. Because if we're going to be the real deal, that means that, that, that we have to uh, be able to allow the love of God and the light of God to exude out of our lives on a consistent, everyday basis. Uh, guys, uh, too many times we find ourselves uh, not representing God well. And, and each week we always encourage you to go and represent God well. Amen. We talk about the fact that uh, our mantra and what I, I my, my prayer is, is that this body of believers would actually become discipled believers who consistently walk in the ways of God and have kingdom impact in our homes, schools, jobs, and the community laws, that we will reflect our faith and lead others into a personal relationship with the Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what we are becoming. We want to become those disciple believers. Can I get a witness? So, so we look at Daniel here. We know the story. We know the background. We know that Daniel uh, was uh, taken into captivity by King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, was being used by God. Everybody say God brought him to the point of power so that he could use him to discipline his people. So he takes Judah into captivity. And again, we studied the fact that they, when they brought uh, a conquered a nation, they would take the best of the best, the brightest of the, the brightest, the most handsome uh, uh, young men and bring them into a training program to indoctrinate them into Babylonian culture. And, they, and after being adopted and in, in, ingrained in Babylonian culture, they would be placed in the royal palaces and, and to serve all around the, the, the country. And so we see Daniel being one of those guys who God, uh, who, who was brought into captivity in the Judah by King Nebuchadnezzar. And so as we get to this uh, second chapter, we, we discover that the king had a dream and he had these wise men, these astrologers, these soothsayers, these all kinds of magicians, and he wanted them to interpret the dream, but he wouldn't tell them what the dream was. We saw it on last week, right? And so, uh, he threatened to kill everybody, including Daniel and, and, and the three Hebrew boys who their, 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 their Babylonian names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Most of them know about that, right? And so they were being threatened to kill. And so Daniel went to his three, his three uh, other Hebrew brothers and says, let's go to God and let's pray that God would give us the interpretation. And he did so. And then he went to the king and said, oh, king, listen, God has given, we, we got the interpretation. So we go to the second chapter right quick. Let's start at verse number 26 with me right quick. Are y'all there? Verse number 26 of the second chapter of Daniel. Are we the real deal? When someone looks at our life, can they see God living out through us? Text says, as the king said to Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, is this true? Can you tell me what my dream was and what it means? Verse number 27, let's read. 
Daniel replied, there are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. Next verse, let's read. It says, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. So park here for a second. I missed it the first time I went through this. Understand this. The dream that Nebuchadnezzar had the Bible says God has shown him some things in his dream. God gives him the dream. And I told you on last week, and we don't, I really, I really don't have time to break all of it down, but it was a prophetic dream talking about the, the coming kingdoms that will rule the earth in the future. And so God gives King Nebuchadnezzar, by all accounts, a wicked king who he was using for his purposes. Which, which lets me know something, guys. Understand this. God can use wicked folks to get his will done in your life. Mm-hmm. I'm going to repeat that because it's all throughout Scripture. God will use whoever he wants to use to get us to the place he needs us to be. Y'all with me today? So, 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 so what are you saying, Brother Pastor? What are you saying, Brother Pastor? Well, here's what I'm saying. That person who you are working with, who you, who you think was, was, Satan was his daddy. <laughs> or that person who you're working with, who uh, you just, you, you just, come on, let's be honest. You can't really stand them. You really can't. You don't like when it's your turn to work with them. Okay, let me go to this side of it. Because y'all ain't really honest. Y'all look at me like, Brother Pastor, I don't have anybody like that. I love the Lord with all my heart, mind, and soul. I love all people. I'm going to go to this side of it. Some of y'all going to nod at me over here. How many of y'all have people who you work with, or how many of y'all have people in your family who you'd rather not be around? All right, y'all are honest. How many of y'all know that God can use a person like that to deal with you and your junk? Because all of us got some junk. And sometimes we won't acknowledge our junk. So God has to put us in a position, I told you on last week, to, to get us to see our junk. God will command us to do something to show what's really in our heart that we wouldn't even acknowledge in our heart. Because every man proclaims his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find so what God will do is, I don't understand this. And this is one of those things, those questions that we have to ask God when we get to heaven. You know, but I just trust him that he's going to do what's best for me. I promise you, everything that God does in my life, I don't understand it. Many times I understand it looking backwards. When I look back after I've been through something, after I have to deal with something, when I look back, then I begin to understand it. Uh, I, I told you, I was listening to, I think it was Ari Vernon said, he says, he, he made the statement, I've been repeating, he says, I want my hindsight, which is always 2020, come on, I want my hindsight to be my children's foresight. That went over some of y'all's head. I want my hindsight 
to be my children's foresight. In other words, when I look back and see what I should have done and what decision I should have made and how it would have worked out better if I had done it that, that way, I want that to be the foresight for my children. When they get ready to face the same thing, they can see what I saw. They can see what I saw. And they will use it. Hopefully they'll say, you know what? The hindsight is 2020. They told me what they've been through. Then so if I got this guy who only calls me at night, And if I got this guy who won't introduce me to his family, and if I got this guy who, who says he's saved, but he can't even tell me his pastor's name, how are you going to be saved and love Jesus and be connected to the church and don't even know your pastor's name? Which indicates you're probably not going. Not probably you're not going. And if you are going, you're not engaged or involved because if you don't even know your pastor's name and then you want me, you want me to marry you say, trying to make him saved because, you know, we've talked, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So you're going to make him be saved. All right. You better listen to your parents hindsight because your parents hindsight can be your foresight. And prevent you from making some of the same mistakes. Can I get a witness up in here? All right. All right. So, 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 we, we got, let's keep moving. So, so God, God, God can do some stuff and his wisdom far outweighs our wisdom. But God used this king, the king of Babylon, to, to be his instrument for discipline and getting his nation of Judah back into his good grace. Because I told you on last week, God will do whatever it takes to get you back into his presence. He loves you so much that he will, he will use a crooked king to make you straight. All right, watch this. But there was, but there was a God in heaven who revealed secret that he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what would happen in the future. Now, I will tell you your dream and the visions you saw as you lay on your bed. All right, I got, I got to skip down because again, Daniel does not take credit here. All right. He does not take credit for the interpretation. If you will, go with me uh, to uh, verse number 46 of this very same chapter. Chapter 2, verse number 46. Let's go. Text says, then King Nebuchadnezzar threw himself down before Daniel and worshipped him. Who? He worshipped Daniel and he commanded his people to offer sacrifices and burn sweet incense before Daniel. Him, but like, look what the text says in verse number 47 uh, says, the king said to Daniel, truly, your God is the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this secret. Text says this, watch this, it says, then the king appointed Daniel to a high position and gave him many valuable gifts. He made Daniel ruler over the whole province of Babylon. Now here this guy is in captivity. Here this guy has been taken into indentured servitude because the Babylonian king had conquered Judah. But yet here he is in, in, in captivity, but now because of the favor of God. Everybody say favor ain't fair. But it sure feel good. All right, watch this. He's in captivity, but now the king appoints him to be over the whole province of Babylon as well as chief over all his wise men. 
Now watch this next verse. See, when you're going up, don't forget about those who, who are with you. As the, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be in charge of all the affairs of the province of Babylon while Daniel remained in the king's court. Now, he didn't forget about his friends, okay, as he went up and was appointed to a high position. But let's, again, the four things that we talked about, three of them, we're going to hit this last one today. First thing we told you was what? Recognize and respond affirmatively to God's work of discipline in your life. Recognize and respond in the affirmative to God's work of discipline in your life. When God is working his disciplinary measure in our life, don't become bitter. Understand that there are times when God is doing this to correct us, to get us where we need to be. And everything that happens in our life, guys, is not necessarily God's discipline. Every bad thing that happens is not necessarily God's discipline. Some stuff happens because it's, it's, it's because we live in a fallen world. But there are times when things are happening in our life because God is trying to correct us to try to show us things about ourselves that we may not even be aware of. Okay? Because as a pastor, I'm, I'm sharing with you and I'm preaching the word of God to you, but there are times when you, I know people sometimes will tune me out. I, I, listen, I wish every sermon that I preached over the past 32 years would have lit a fire up under you and, and, and caused you to go run and say, I got to go do this right now. But I, but I know that some things that I preach are hard for you to swallow sometimes. Right? Huh? Oh, come on, y'all. I'm the pastor. Some things are hard for you to swallow, but I promise you, if you will take this word and look at it in the word, don't let your feelings govern what you receive. Let the word of God rightly divide it, properly exegete it, so you can have correct hermeneutical application. Exegete means to know the who, when, and where, and why, and when, and what was happening at that time. And hermeneutics is how do I apply what was happening then, there, there, to the day that I'm living in 2021. Because ultimately, you should come to church to learn so you can grow and be disciple, right? And don't come here just to have a good time. You ought to have a good time while you're worshiping God, but come to learn and say, how can I apply this word to my everyday life? So recognize and respond affirmative to God's work of this in your life. Number two, we said what? Watch this. It says, resolve to always be a person of integrity. Daniel was consistently a man of integrity, and this integrity was evident to all who came in contact with him. Third thing, make every effort to maintain a good reputation throughout life. Guys, I told you on last week, you can make one bad decision, one bad choice, and uh, the world will crucify you. Well, back up. Not even the world. Those in the church will crucify you for one sinful, bad choice or decision that you made. So we, are, we, 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 need, we need to take care for how we, how we live our lives and, and live in such a way that we have a good reputation inside the church and outside of the church. All right? So let's, let's pick on this last one for, for, the, for the remaining time that we have, okay? Number four, resolve to walk in humility. Resolve to walk in what? Humility. Again, Daniel, we see in the 27th verse, answered 
He says, there's a God in heaven that revealed its secrets. Daniel was, was, was careful not to take the credit for what God had done. And guys, uh, watch out. I tell you before, watch out for people who are always talking about, I did this and I this and I'm this or our church this and our this and I and I and I and I. See, whatever you do for God should always be done so that God can get the glory. If your name is bigger than God, we got a problem. If whatever we do as a ministry here at EBC gets more credit uh, than God, then we have a problem. Are you with me today? (sighs) Humility is something that we should all embrace because God, God loves an humble servant. Daniel was an humble man who consistently pointed away from his own abilities and point it towards God. And that's what he did when the king tried to give him credit. He says, God is the one that revealed his secrets. Are y'all with me? Can we go to James chapter four right quick? And let's, let's unpack some things here. James chapter number four. Glory to God. And let's take a look at that. Uh, let's start in verse, uh, verse, number, verse number, start at verse number four. James chapter four. Verse number four, glory to God. James says, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. If you want to be a friend of the world, now when he says the world, he's talking about the world's system, okay? The world's system. Um, I don't want to ever be guilty of being uh, at odds with God. If I'm, if I'm his child, I'm a part of his family, I don't want to ever be guilty of being at odds with God. He says, uh, you're adulterous. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I said again, I want you to be a friend of the world. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Well, by being friendly with God's enemies, we declare war against God. Well, well Pastor, James in here, we're going to see uh, names three enemies. Uh, he names three enemies that we must not fraternize with if we want to be at peace with God. You know, the Bible talks about the peace of God and peace with God. The peace of God is that peace that surpasses all understanding. Peace with God means that I'm not at odds with God. I'm not in opposition to him. One of the ways that we become in, in opposition with God or be at enmity with God is when we go against what God's revealed word says. Are you tracking with me today? So as a Christian, I got to live my life in such a way that I don't allow those things uh, that, that, that go against God's word to be a part of my everyday life. Okay. So uh, he says uh, three things here he mentions here in, in James. Let's keep reading and I'll come back and, and point those out. Next verse. Let's read. Do you think that the scriptures have, have no meaning? Some people live like it, they don't. They say that God is passionate, that they say that God is passionate, that the spirit uh, he has placed within us should be faithful to him. Next verse, let's read. And he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes what? The proud, but give grace to the humble. Verse seven says what? So do what? 
humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will do what? Flee from you. So he points out three, uh, three enemies that we must not connect with. Number one is the world. And when James says world, he means human society apart from God. All of us know and recognize that we, we live in this world, but the Bible said we should not be what? Of this world. In other words, my decisioning and how I do life should not be predicated on what the world system tells me to do. Again, world means that I'm operating apart from God. Question, how many of y'all find yourself guilty as a Christian operating according to the world system? Oh, listen to me. Whenever we refuse to consult God, his word, his principles, and his precepts, then we are operating according to the world system. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding in all of your ways. Acknowledge him. And what will he do? So if it says in all of my ways, I need to acknowledge him. What does that mean? That means in everything that I do, I need to consult God's word, his plan for my life. Everything that I do. I said, everything I do, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not to your own understanding. How many of y'all find it difficult to do sometimes? To not lean to your own understanding? In other words, you, you, you have experiences, you have family of origin, family of origin influences that have caused you to think a certain way. Uh, you, you, you know, all of us have those things that pull on us to try to do life apart from God. So the world, the world system, when it says the world is that image of God, it means that I'm operating apart from God's revealed word for my life. All right. And guys, uh, it's easy to do. It's easy to go based off of how you feel. Right. Let me get, let me, let me, let me get an illustration. You know, God says he honors marriage. And I, y'all, y'all know we do, we do a lot of teaching on marriage right here because I think we, we need to make sure that we learn how to do it well and do it God's way. I don't even want you to raise your hand because I don't, I don't want anybody to fight when you leave here. <laughs> but how many of y'all during the time that you've been married have had the fault that I'm through with this? I, 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 I don't want it anymore. Any of y'all ever walked through a dark period in your relationship where you said, uh-uh, I'm, I'm through but knowing that God says he hates divorce. Now, again, if you are a divorced individual, I am not throwing stones at you. I know that because of sin in the earth realm, God even allowed Moses to write a bill of divorce, but it was not an excuse for divorce. But divorce happens because sin is in people's hearts. But, but, I, but those of y'all who are still married, has there been time when you thought about, <laughs> thank you, my brother. <laughs> thank you. See, see, you got to have a strong marriage to be able to say that out loud like that. All right. I'll tell you guys, Maria and I've been married almost, it'll be 36 years in December. And there have been times she thought about walking. I thought about walking. Mm-hmm. 
Some of y'all look at me, Pastor, don't you look at me and ask me to acknowledge that. Some of y'all looking straight ahead. But guys, what, what, here's, here's what I want you to know. As believers, we go through all kinds of things. But I can't make a decision about life based on how I felt in that moment. I got to make decisions if I'm a man of principle, if I'm the real deal, I got to make my decisions based off of what God has revealed to me in his word. Okay. How many of y'all have thought about leaving church? Because of somebody hurt you in church. And it, it always amazes me how if we got a personal relationship with God, why would we allow somebody else to cause us to move from God or move from the place that God told us to be. Because again, every person that comes to this church always asks, do you feel like the Lord is, the Holy Spirit is leading you to be here? Because I don't, I don't want anybody to be here who the Holy Spirit didn't lead to be here. Because if, if you're coming because your mama was here, your cousin was here, whoever was here, then the first time that you face a hard situation or you disagree with somebody or someone hurt you, and guys, listen to me. When you, when you love people, I don't care if it's your children, your children will hurt you sometimes. How many grown parents, I mean, how many parents have grown children and your grown children hurt you sometimes? Because they, you know, they're grown now. They, you can't make them do anything now. But you've experienced some, uh, some heartache and some angst. And God knows you love them. You love them, you do anything in the world for them, but they can hurt you. Are y'all with me? But because they hurt you, you don't go to the, if you could do this, you don't go to the state of Louisiana if, you, if they were born here and, and, and go to the birth records and say, take my name off of that. <laughs> Have any of y'all thought about doing that? I know some of y'all said, they ain't, they, you, 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 you don't act like you're my child. But guys, hear me carefully. You don't do that because you, you love them. Are y'all with me? You love them. And even in their foolishness, your love does not abate. I thank God that, that, that God, the God in heaven, Jesus Christ, his son, loves us unconditionally. And even when we act a fool. And yes, we've had some foolish acting moments since we've been born again. He does not throw us away. Y'all ought to get a Lord of amen on that one. So I think I thank God for that, guys. But but again, we we the first enemy is the world. When we act like the world, that means operating apart from God. Don't ever put yourself in a position where you're operating apart from God. Because when you get to where God wants you to be, I said even in the church, when when you go to if God led you to a place and the Holy Spirit led you to be there, then you don't run when you have disagreement. Because you're in the place that God told you to be. Just like if, when you're married and, and, and God placed you in that marriage and, and if both of y'all are doing the right way, you don't leave because you have disagreement. You don't leave because you didn't get what you want. But you'll spoil yourself. Your mama spoiled you. Your daddy spoiled you. And they put pawn you off on a husband who... All right, listen, listen to me carefully. Listen to me carefully. Our relationship with God has to be so important 
that we don't allow anybody or anything to move us off of what we know God has told us to do. Okay? I don't care if it's if mom, it's dad, if it's if it's my children, whoever. Stay with God. So world, the, when, the, when the Bible says the world, that means you're operating apart from God's plan or his word for your life. Okay? That's what the world means. It don't mean the physical globe, the world, but it means the world system. That means to operate apart from God. The other enemy is the flesh. The flesh. The flesh is, it, it, you know, the Bible says no good th- thing dwelleth in the flesh. Okay? Uh, living for the flesh means that I, I'm, I'm grieving the Holy Spirit of God who lives in me. Okay? When I, when I, whenever my flesh desires something and I, I, I go after that and that what, the thing that I'm going after is at odds with what God's word says. I'm living according to the flesh. And the third enemy is the devil, obviously. Beelzebub, Satan. Satan is, is, the, is the arch enemy of God. And Satan tries to counterfeit God with everything that God does. And he tries to get us out of the will of God. Okay? So those things, when we do those, when we, when we take up kinship with the world, the flesh, or the devil, we're going to be at odds with God. Okay, And I don't want to be at odds with God because he's the one who saved me. He's the one that delivered me. He's the one that set me free as well as you. Okay, So go with me, if you will, to 1 Peter chapter number 5. Resolve to walk in humility. Resolve to walk in humility. 1 Peter 5, verse number 5. Let's start there right quick. Okay? And as Peter writes in his fifth chapter, uh, uh, he writes on the issue of humility there. He had already admonished the saints to be submissive to government authorities back in the second chapter. And he talks about uh, workers uh, to, to the to supervisor of slaves, the masters, as he put in that day, and the wives to their husbands. And now he commanded all of the believers to submit to God and to each other. All right. So watch what he says here. In the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders and all of you. Dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God does what? Opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Those who walk in humility, God gives grace to those people who walk in humility. Next verse, let's read. It says, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. He says, so humble yourself. How many of y'all ever prayed, God, humble me? Have you ever prayed it before? Well, in actuality, God's not going to humble you. You got to humble yourself. Is that what this says? He says, so humble. So you humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. What does it mean to humble yourselves under the mighty power of God? That means that. Even when I don't understand him, I trust him enough to do what he says, even when I don't feel it and I don't understand it. That's, that's humility. Humility is that, God, I think enough of your word and your principles that even when I don't uh, feel it or if I don't uh, see how that works, I'm still going to trust what you say. And guys, you know, we had to do that with our parents growing up, right? Uh, because our parents, we, we had to trust that they were caring for us. And I know people sometimes grow up in a situation where the parents are not necessarily doing that. But 
But, but, but the order of the day is that parents will rear their children up in, in, in a godly way such that they can understand the principle of fatherhood and motherhood. And it's, it's a caring, nurturing uh, role that God places us in. And so just like a father and a mother who's doing it right will nurture their children and their children may not understand exactly everything, why they're doing what they're doing, but they're going to trust the parent loves them enough to do what's best for them. And that's all God is looking for. God is looking for us to get to a point in him to where we trust him totally and completely. Even when we don't understand exactly why we should do it that way. Because how many of y'all, if you had a plan, you would do it different sometimes the way God did in your life? I'm telling you. I can look back over my life and, and, and there, are some, there are some things I would have done different. I, I, I shared this with y'all before. When I went to school at Louisiana Tech, I was a walk-on um, uh, football player. Notice I didn't have an athletic scholarship, but I ended up getting an athletic scholarship and starting four years there at Louisiana Tech and did fairly well from a, from a performance standpoint. But my, my, my goal would have been to, to sign that athletic scholarship directly out of high school. That would have been my plan. But you know what God did? Through that process of, of running the scout team for, for the guys who were going to play on Saturday, it humbled me. Because every guy that comes out of high school, Danny, comes out of there thinking he's going to be the next NFL great. Not knowing that there's some guys that were before him already down there with two or three years of experience that also thinking they're going to be the next person who's going to be the, the all-conference player in the NFL great. Okay? So that, that, that whole year where I only played one play, God was teaching me how to, to, to do what was best for the team even when I didn't get any accolades. Even when I didn't even dress out, even when I didn't even travel with the team, God was saying, I'm teaching you how to be a team player. Because some people in church aren't team players unless their name is being called, unless they're in the spotlight. And Jesus is looking for folks who are willing to serve even when nobody even sees them serving. So humility is very, it's just, so, it says, so humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and at the right time, he at the right time. What time is that at the right time? When my promotion coming at the right time? God, when are you going to deliver me from this? At the right time. Well, when is the right time, Pastor? In God's time. When is God's time? I don't know. Ask God. <laughs> I've experienced this, guys. God may not tell you because if he told you when he was going to do it, We, we, we wouldn't know how to handle it. We really wouldn't. If God showed you everything that he was going to do with you, you wouldn't know how to handle it. Check this out. Some of y'all here today, many of y'all here today, had God shown you at the age of 20, you would be a member of this church and you would cuss God out. <laughs> Not literally. But you, you would have you you vehemently denied that I'm going to be a member of Elizabeth Baptist Church in Benton, Louisiana. Some of y'all didn't even know what Benton was. How many of y'all at 20 knew what Benton was? We got a few, y'all. How many of y'all at 20 knew where Elizabeth Baptist Church was? Only a few of y'all in here knew where it was. So if God had came to you at the ripe old age of 20 and told you you're going to be in this church with this guy pastoring you who preaches for 55 minutes and talks loud till he loses his voice <laughs> and had told you that at 20, you would have thought, that God was crazy. As a matter of fact, some of the people 
who you know, your family members and others think you're crazy people. <laughs> why are you there? How many of y'all like my grandmother? I love my grandmother. But when God told me to um, uh, say, I, I need you to work with Marrera's home church up in Haynesville. It was a Haddle Chapel Free Will Baptist Church. Up in Haynesville, God told me to leave here. And my grandmother talked to me one day. She said, now, baby, you don't need to leave the home church. This, you grew up in this church. I said, come on, I'm not leaving the home church. I'm just going where the Holy Spirit told me to go. And I got to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. I can't let family ties hold me in a place that God says I need you to leave from. Amen. Are y'all with me? Amen. So she didn't quite understand that. All right. But, but again, she, she embraced it. And, and, and guess what? God sent me out and brought me back. So I passed her to the day she died. All right. But she didn't quite understand it. And some of y'all are here and God let you here. But had, I show, had God shown you that early on in life, you would have tripped and you would have wigged out. So sometimes God can't show us stuff because uh, if, if, we, if we see it, we would run the other way. Kind of like Jonah did. All right. Y'all with me? How many of y'all, just by way of show of hands, if God had showed you that at 20, how many of y'all would have doubted that? Let me see your hands. Come on. How many of y'all would have doubted that this is where you need to be? All right, gotcha. Some of y'all say, I, I, I ain't Baptist. Well, guess what? We ain't either. We just Christians. Are y'all with me? We're just Christians. All right? We don't, we don't, we, I, I know somebody will shoot arrows at me, but take the name off the door. I don't care what the name of the door is. We are Christians. First and foremost. All right? Y'all with me? Y'all still moving. All right. So, so again, he says here, uh, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, what will God do? God will lift you up in honor. Verse number seven says this. Give all your worries and cares to God for he what? He cares about you. Now, I, I need to read this from the KJV. I love the way the KJV reads on this, okay? If you could, Brother Jay, pop it up right quick. So I, listen, I don't care what you're going through right now. I don't care how hard the situation is. If you will learn to do this, God will give you that peace that surpasses all understanding. It'll keep your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. He says what? Casting all your care upon him. So watch this. Now, again, we've got to take the word of God for the word of God. It says casting. That means it's understood you there. You casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. I am convinced that there are many people who, who love to hang on to their cares and complain about their cares. But he says this. You can stop praying God, take it from him. God said you got to cast it. Is that what it says? Casting all your, what's the care? It's a concern. It's an issue, a situation, a circumstance. If it's a money problem, cast all your care upon him for he cares for you. Learn how to give it to Jesus. Casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. Don't ever let the enemy come in and tell you that God doesn't care about what you're going through, that he doesn't care about you. God loves you. Do you hear me? He loves you. He loves you unconditionally. His love for you is not predicated on how good you are and how good I am. Thank God for that. 
because none of us deserve his love. He loves you unconditionally. So we, but we got we to cast. Everybody say, cast it. Throw it over on the Lord. He's able to handle it. Stop carrying it yourself. Casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. Go to Philippians 2 with me right quick. True humility is described in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. See, humility is not demeaning ourselves and thinking poorly of ourselves. It's simply not thinking about ourselves at all. Watch what he says here. Philippians chapter number 2, verse number 1. So Daniel was a man of humility. And because of his humility and his love for God, he was elevated in the kingdom where he was in captivity. So it doesn't matter where you are. Y'all remember uh, when Joe, uh, 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 Joseph had been sold into slavery by his brothers and how uh, he went to Potiphar's house and everything that he did, the, Lord, the, the Bible says the Lord was with Joseph. Every step of the way in Potiphar's house, the Lord was with Joseph when he was thrown in jail because Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him, even tried to, to throw him down and, 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 and physically or sexually assault him. And he ran away. She lied on him and he got thrown in jail. And while in jail, he's, the favor of God was so prevalent on his life. He, he, God raised him up when he was running to jail. And then he left the jail to go to the palace. And he was second in charge of all of Egypt. Don't stop. Stop focusing in on where you are and what's happened and start to trust God. God will see you through whatever situation you find yourself in. Because he's looking for people who will, who will just trust him. He's looking for people who will just trust him. The Bible says his, his, his eyes run to and fro throughout the earth trying to find a man and or a woman whom he can show himself strong towards. Look at what the text says here. Come on, guys. My time is running. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. He's talking to the church, y'all. This is Paul writing to the saints of Philippi. He says, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. If we stay attached to purpose, then we won't get sidetracked. Look at the next verse. Let's read. It says what? It says, don't be selfish. Why did Paul have to say this? Because there were some in the church who were selfish. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Wow. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Don't just be glad that you're saved and your family's going to heaven and, and, and everything is good with you. He says, look out, take an interest in others too. Next verse, let's read. He says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Keep going, let's go. He says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. He says, instead he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, text says this, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Glory be to God. Therefore, God elevated him 
to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. The text says this, that at the name of Jesus, everybody say Jesus. The world don't want you to say Jesus, but we're going to say it loud and clear. Jesus. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. It talks about the humility of our Savior who left the privileges of deity in heaven to come to be born in the manger of Bethlehem, to die on a cross at Golgotha's hill, to be buried in a borrowed tomb, to be resurrected the third day morning with all power in heaven at his hand so that you and I can have a relationship with the triune God. That's humility. There are some people in this world who wouldn't dare uh, because of their, their status in the community, their wealth that they have, they wouldn't dare put that aside and come serve. But God is looking for humble servants and Daniel was one of those servants. Make the resolution today that you resolve to walk in humility. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. But let God be the central focus of everything that you do. Daniel had the same humble attitude that John the Baptist had when he said in John chapter 3, verses 30, verse 30 says, he must increase, but I must decrease. Everybody say, he must increase, but I must decrease. Ministry is not about me, it's not about you, but it's all about him. Let's walk in humility, guys. Let's be that humble servant who's willing to do whatever it takes to bring glory to God's name. And watch God use each one of us when we have that mentality to, 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 to advance kingdom principle and be that servant that, that he can use to get people saved and to minister into the lives of people. Let's be those humble servants, okay? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we thank you.